0: Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Sin left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. You know, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, you know, when we see this up here dealing with divorce, it kind of uh, uh, probably makes us a little bit apprehensive about what I'm going to say But I want to begin by recognizing that the subject touched on in our message this morning is a very sensitive one. The Bible's teaching on divorce and remarriage would be easy to talk about if it weren't for the fact that so many people that we know and love have been personally affected by divorce and remarriage. And for many, this passage brings up painful memories of deep personal issues. It calls to mind seasons of life that have deep and abiding regrets. And for some who discover that they're going to hear a message on this passage, they may be even a measure of fear and apprehension because it may also raise the question of the legitimacy of a situation that they are in now. As your pastor I want you to know something. I want you to know that I understand all of that. Okay? And it motivates me to rely upon God to give me great grace and care as I preach about this subject. I mean, this brief exposition is not meant to be an exhaustive treatment of everything that happens with divorce or remarriage and, and there are many other passages of Scripture uh, that talk about that. And so I, I want you to understand, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this passage of Scripture and we're talking about this. There are other places in the Bible where it talks about that as well. We would do well to know that. And whether we're single or married or not married yet or uh, widowed or or whatever, there will be people in our areas, in our circles of influence that come to us for advice and come to us asking what they should do. We need to be prepared for that. Okay, and so in in, in knowing that, um, I just want to make sure that we understand, you know, I mean, let's affirm uh, from the beginning That these words that that we're reading and that we're sharing are from our wonderful, loving, forgiving Savior. Jesus not only knew us thoroughly. He even loved us enough to die for us while we were sinners. He is the one saying this. It's not my opinion. It's not what I think. It's not not anything like that. It is what Jesus has taught and what he is saying to his disciples, to his followers. And whatever else this passage may involve for each of us personally, I believe that if we look at it with a desire to follow our Savior's really good ways his best for us, trusting in his unfailing love, we can look at it with confidence. We can take something away from this. See, Jesus desires good for all of those who who love him and he's always ready to forgive us of our sins, to pick us up and to dust us off and to help us continue on in his life-changing grace. one of the tragic trends that we've seen over the, the past many years, and I don't know if it's 20, 30, 40 years, but is the, is the breakup of, of the family, the family unit. And, and statistics concerning divorce don't tell the whole story. And I'm not here to, uh, to, to put a bunch of statistics on you because those who have been divorced already testify of the pain that it has caused in their lives and in their family. Many have been rejected. Many have been subjected to financial crisis. There's the lingering and loneliness. There's the, and it's suffered hundreds of other hurts that may not even be voiced. Divorce comes to many Christians and it should be faced. We need to be able to, to look at it. I want you to know something. This isn't an easy topic to talk about. Because every family in America has been dealing with this for some time, in some shape, form, or fashion. See, I believe that those of us who officiate weddings have a high accountability for those that we unite in marriage. So if somebody asks you to do their wedding, don't take it lightly. Take it serious. See, I also believe that divorce is so high because we've forgotten how to leave our parents, cleave to our wife, and understand the importance of intimacy, of oneness. See, I want to hit on something here real quickly before we get into our scripture. This generation, understand this, this generation fights Sex trafficking more than anybody else ever has, but understand more than anyone else ever has, this generation consumes pornography. See those are, those don't go together. There's a, there's a separation that has to take place because fighting human trafficking and then watching porn is like protesting a corrupt politician and then giving to his campaign. They don't go together. But you see, this is the, this is where we find ourselves is that we, we fight this, but then we do this. And this contributes to this. And that's what I'm saying is there's, there's, a, there's something that we could pull over and park there. That's not what this passage is about. That's not what this message is about. But we can miss Jesus' whole point here if we are comfortable keeping our marriages intact without getting rid of our lust and saying no to pornography. But see, that's what we want to do. That's what many in our society want to do. But you see, understand that the word immorality in the Greek, the word immorality, it could refer to adultery, it could uh, re- refer to all types of, of um, deviancy in, in the sexual area. Really, the, the, the root of the word comes from the word we get our word pornography from, porneia. And I, I think that's huge because when we're talking about lust, when we're talking about divorce, when we're talking about those things, we need to understand when Jesus says that put, we need to put immorality from us, away from us, that's one of the things he's talking about, is, is, is pornography or all types of immorality. Let's read and, and see what Jesus says here. You know, um, in Matthew 5, uh, verse 31 and 32... Um, He spoke on divorce immediately after He spoke on adultery. And the formula was the same for lust and adultery as it was for anger and murder. You see, Jesus told what the law stated about divorce. And He went much deeper when He spoke about it. Let's look in verse 31 and, and, and 32, chapter 5 of Matthew. It says this, God's Word. It was said, whoever sends his wife away let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, how we are, are studying your word. And Father... I recognize that there is tremendous hurt and pain. And Father, I'm not I'm not trying to just pull scabs off, Father. This is what's next, and it's your word. And so, Father, I pray that we would see uh, the truth of what you are telling us in this, teaching us. And Father, that your Holy Spirit would coat it all with your grace and your love. And Father, that we would see how You are reconciling and redeeming us even through this. And Father, we, we ask your, your grace and Your blessing upon it. Guide us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, Jesus is speaking to us where we are when He addresses this issue. And He's speaking to us for our good and not for our destruction. He is He is taking the law and he, He's giving it A deeper meaning, a little bit higher application, if you will. And it is sin that destroys us. It's our sin that destroys us. That, you know, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life. And his desire is that we would have the abundant life. And his words to us are a balm of comfort, a salve put on the wound and a balm of comfort and hope and grace. And so Jesus shares here the legal concepts about divorce. In Matthew 5:31, Jesus referred to the law and he's talking back about Moses' law, the law that was written in Deuteronomy chapter 24 verses 1, 2 and 3, it talks about divorce. It's that, you know, a man could divorce his wife for almost any reason? The law sought to protect the rights of an innocent Wife. See, the man who divorced his wife must give a certificate stating the cause for the divorce. A certificate of divorce, a piece of paper written down this is why I'm divorcing you. See, this law was supposed to deter divorce rather than encourage it, since you would have to write out a you know, a, a, a law or a writing of divorcement, and, and it had to be executed in public by two witnesses. So there could be no divorce in private, so to speak. Okay, the, the, this law was put out there to, to keep people from getting divorced because they would have that public shame, if you will. And so when you think about this, he's trying to help the Israelites in this The document granted that the woman, the the, the document granted the woman the right to remarry without civil or religious sanction. Divorce could not be done privately. And in Deuteronomy, when it's talking about that, the acceptable reason for granting divorce was, quote, some uncleanness. Some uncleanness. Now, if I go and I I look in in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, it says, And it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. This uncleanness. Really, it's it's referring to um, what we would call some type of immorality, some type of adultery, some type of uncleanness some type of defilement. But understand, the scribes and the Pharisees of that day took this and kind of made it something else. One rabbi said that it had to do with obnoxiousness. You could divorce your wife if you found her obnoxious. All you got to do is write her a divorce paper and give it to her. Now, understand this. Specific types of uncleanness had their own penalties. Adultery carried the death penalty by stoning. By throwing rocks at you until you were dead. I don't know about you, but I don't want to die that way. I can bob and weave with the best of them, but not like that. That's serious business. Adultery carried the penalty of death with it. And so what what they're doing here, although the law of Moses allowed a man to divorce his wife, the wife was not allowed to divorce her husband for any reason at all. Moses is trying to protect the law of God is trying to protect the innocent wife here. Legally, the wife was bound to her husband as long as they both lived and, or until he divorced her. And if the woman was given a certificate of divorce, she was eligible to remarry any man except a priest. You see, in Jesus' day, there was a lot of confusion about what that meant. The rabbis couldn't agree on what constituted uncleanliness. There were two real main options here. Those following Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Shammai was, uh, you know, they might be called of the school of Shammai. And, and, and that they were a very strict, a very severe, a very austere school. And they viewed adultery as the only grounds for divorce. That was one rabbi. Then there was Rabbi Hillel, and those who followed him, the school of Hillel, it was a a liberal type school, broad-minded and and, and really just generous, if you will, and they accepted a number of reasons for divorce. One of those could be, if you found a woman who could cook better than your wife, you could divorce her. If you found a prettier woman than your wife, you could divorce her. If you found a woman who didn't burn the food, you could divorce her. So there was this liberal, um, very, very open type thing. Indirectly, what that school is saying, though, is that I despise God's permanent design for marriage covenant. And I think less of him or her than of what God thinks of him or her. See, the tragedy was that that practice fell far short of the ideal. So one point violated in the whole marriage relationship thing here. The woman in the eyes of the law was considered a possession. Folks, I'm not making this up. I didn't come up with this. I'm just telling you how it was. I don't agree with it. I'm, I'm not there. But they were viewed as a possession and she was at the absolute disposal of her father or her husband and she had virtually no legal rights at all. So Jesus apparently found only one reason for divorce and he says in this passage, namely, unchastity. Some kind of infidelity. Because you see, infidelity... Cheating on your spouse breaks the marriage vow. Because Jesus seemed to be stating that the, the divine ideal and the sanctity of marriage, rather than just giving another law and saying don't do this, he's saying you're breaking the marriage vow here if you are cheating, if you are having an affair with someone other than your spouse. You're breaking your marriage vow. See, in Jesus' view, the aim of marriage is for a lifetime. And infidelity is a departure from God's plan. So next, Jesus, he he shares the reasons why divorce happens. I mean, lots of people propose reasons why divorce happens. Maybe most heard often uh, is the word incompatibility. In other words, we don't get along. Or we we, we hear the words, the phrase, irreconcilable differences. Did Jesus have anything to say about the reason for divorce? Of course he did. Verse 32, he says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery. See, Jesus is not saying immorality must lead to divorce, only that it may. Previously, in verse 9 of this same chapter, he talked about blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God, those who make the peace. And then in verse 23, 24, 25, and 26, he talks about reconciling. Go make it right with your brother. Go take care of your business. Be a reconciler. Be a peacemaker. And, and, and although it doesn't have to be this way, many marriages end when one or both partners are sexually unfaithful to the other. See, the Gospel of Matthew, it actually contains another reason for divorce in Matthew nineteen, eight. Jesus said it was because of your hardness of heart. Because of your hardness of heart. <laughs> and this takes us all the way back, think about it. The heart has always been the problem. The reason we rebel against God is is a heart problem. The reason we don't love our neighbor as ourselves is a heart problem. The reason that that divorces happen is a is most often a heart problem. And it's not because we have fallen out of love, it's not because we're incompatible, it's because we choose not to love our partner. Love is a choice. And we must choose every day to be married. We must choose every day to forgive, to be a peacemaker. You see, from the very beginning, you see the, uh, the creation of Adam and Eve. God's design for marriage was that it would be a lifetime permanent covenant. And when spouses harden their hearts against each other, divorce generally happens. It doesn't have to happen for either of those reasons. Because listen, an unfaithful partner can Repent. An unfaithful spouse can repent, and and the wounded spouse can forgive, and reconciliation can take place. You know, when when, when couples come and they're, they're, they're struggling together, one of the first things I ask them is, do you want to stay married? Because if you don't want to stay married, you won't. You have to choose that. You know, the hard-hearted spouse can repent, the wounded can forgive, and a marriage can be saved. And Jesus goes on to, and he seeks to protect people from divorce. I mean, if you know much about Jesus at all, you know that he is genuinely uh, cares about people and the welfare of our society and our well-being. The Lord knows that divorce is painful and it hurts people. They carry those hurts and those scars all of their life the children of those relationships carry those scars as well. See, in Jesus' day, a man could push a woman aside and take up with another. The woman left was unprotected. And if she married again, she would commit adultery, as would the man. That's not said. As would the man. They see, Jesus warned against those practices. What was going on is the, the scribes and Pharisees were teaching the Jews that you could put aside your wife if you found someone that you wanted, and all you had to do is do your paperwork. And so it became this thing where as long as you wrote them out a a decree of divorcement, you could do whatever you wanted. They were your property. You could do that. And Jesus is saying, no, the reason that that was given, it was given as a concession to the law. Because otherwise, you know, if you don't have a way out, then what if there is abuse? What if there is things like that? I'm not saying that, that... You know, I I think that we ought to have a way out. What Jesus is saying is he's saying that there is, it's a permanent situation. And the the scribes and Pharisees were teaching that all you have to do is do your paperwork. So that's what he's uh, confronting here. And, And I think that's huge because he's telling them of the ideal, not just the law. Live to this. It's an intent of the heart, not just the letter of the law. Now, our view of and practice of remarriage is a measure of our attitude toward God. Consider Jesus' statement here. He said, Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And many have interpreted that to mean that Jesus is saying there is no remarriage that is biblical. Or that Jesus is saying if you've been divorced... There is no remarriage that that is biblical, but that's not what Jesus is saying. The point of Jesus' statement is this. Our marital faithfulness reflects our heart. Our marital faithfulness reflects our heart. Our attitude toward our marriage reflects our heart and it will come under God's examination. It's not just about doing the paperwork. It's not just about being legal. It's a matter of your heart towards your spouse. I mean, we could summarize his teachings about divorce and remarriage in this passage like this. First of all, Jesus makes it clear that God's design is for permanent commitment in marriage, permanent commitment in marriage. That's the way God intended when He when He instituted marriage in the garden, and and, and that's still what God intends is for a man and a woman to be married and they come together and they consummate the marriage and the two become one flesh. Till death do you part. That's his plan. That's God's intended plan. Now, whether your present marriage is your first or your fourth is not the issue. That's not what he's talking about. Your previous actions may have involved sin, but praise God, he picks us up where we're at. He picks us up where we're at. We need to hear that. Secondly, I would say this. Jesus makes it very clear That he's against divorce on demand. That's what was happening in that society. It was divorce on demand. You know, rather than having no-fault divorces, we need to have no-fault marriages. Where we're not pointing fingers at one another and saying, well, she did this and he did that, and we need to be able to forgive one another. Jesus makes it clear he's against divorce on on demand. Observe also that Jesus teaches that unbiblical divorce... Unbiblical divorce complicates sin rather than healing it. So often people want to get a divorce and they're willing to get a divorce thinking that it's going to solve a horrible situation. Instead, they may find themselves in a worse situation. And if children are involved, they may just find themselves in a more horrible situation. But unbiblical divorce complicates sin rather than healing it. Jesus also makes clear in this passage that sexual immorality destroys the marital bond. If we are unfaithful to our spouse, it destroys the marital bond. See, this this hits so close at what marriage is that it is a legitimate reason for ending a marriage, it is a legitimate ground on which to proceed with divorce when there is infidelity, when there is unchastity in one side or the other. I'm not saying it has to end in divorce. I've seen couples that have reconciled. I've seen couples that have been willing to forgive and move forward and and, and get counseling and help and and all of that. It, It is redeemable. Observe also that Jesus does not say that remarriage after a biblical divorce constitutes adultery. People want to take this one phrase out of context here. Unbiblical divorce and that is what he means when he speaks about in 32. It says that those who marry a divorced woman are committing adultery. By the way, in this passage, it's not mentioned, Jesus never mentioned it, but the Apostle Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a six-point summarizing biblical teaching about marriage and remarriage. He said this, that willful desertion by an unbeliever frees the offended party to remarry. So if your unbelieving spouse leaves and divorces you, you are free to marry. But we come to this and we ask ourselves a question as I'm wrapping this up. What about a believer who's been divorced and remarried unbiblically? We thank God that he picks us up where we're at. There's no indication anywhere in Scripture that you must break off such a a marriage relationship. Whether your present marriage is your first or your fourth, it's not the issue. Your previous actions may have involved sin, but God is a forgiving God. And by his grace, each one of us walk this earth. I mean, regarding our past sinful acts, I say our past sinful acts. We must recognize the fact that God can and has and does forgive us. Then you should go on from there. Jesus told the woman caught in adultery when they wanted to stone her to death because that was the death penalty for that. He told her, he said, your sins are forgiven you. Go and sin no more. So we go on from there, from that forgiveness. See, praise God for his forgiveness. Amen? I mean, just as you are forgiven as anybody else from any other sin... I mean, there are no limitations to Scripture, in Scripture, on that forgiveness. There's no limitations to that. When you're forgiven, you're forgiven. And praise God for His forgiveness. I mean, if you were formerly a liar, and you've been forgiven, you repented of that, and you don't do that anymore, praise God for His forgiveness. I mean, the the important thing is that you don't do that anymore. I mean, if you were a moral person, if you were an immoral person, praise God that you've been forgiven from that. And you moved on. You've, you, once you know to do better, you do better. And I'm, I'm praising God today because we can live a life that is, that is free from guilt, free from the sin and the shame of that guilt because of the, the, the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. Because He forgives us, and so we move on. Walking in that forgiveness. See, if we take seriously family values, we will take seriously our views about marriage and remarriage. I mean, may God make us holy in this area so that we might be a witness to the world around us. May we be different from the rest of the world in this and may he bind up the brokenhearted and show us his bountiful grace folks i want to be i want to be a grace giver i want to be someone who is merciful and graceful to those around me because you know what i'm not the judge i'm not anywhere near the judge he's the judge And one day we all give an account to him. And as we stand before the judge, each and every one of us that knows Jesus as our Savior and Lord is going to say, I plead the blood of Christ. I am clothed in his righteousness, not in my own. So who am I to judge a brother or sister in what God has already forgiven? Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this and I I thank you, Father, for your word and how it challenges us. But Father, how we also need to understand it's a matter of our heart. And Father, you care more about our maturing in you and growing up in you. Father, it's more about that deep relationship. Father, of knowing what it... What it needs to be. Father, our hearts are laid bare to you. Father, I'm thankful that you gave your son who who paid it all. Because sin had left a crimson stain on each one of us. But your blood washes it clean. So, Father, for, for the pain and the hurt, for the regrets, for the guilt, for the shame, we recognize that Jesus died on the cross for us. And, Father, that none of us are perfect, none of us are batting a thousand. Father, that we need your grace every single day, every moment of every day. I pray, Father, that this morning, that your Holy Spirit would cover us with your grace. That, Father, as we look at our brothers and sisters, we would simply see redeemed believers who love you. Father, I thank you for that grace. Father, we walk in it every day. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would examine our hearts. If there's things that we need to repent of so that we can move on, I pray that we would do that. Father, that we would open our heart up to you, Holy Spirit, and just let you cleanse us from within. Father, that we might walk in your grace. That we might walk in that mercy, in that trust and faithfulness. Father, we love you and we praise you and thank you for guiding us closer to you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.